But as I was reading this book, there was just something that kept sticking out to me, and I wanted to share it with you tonight. So I'm going to go through a few verses of Scripture throughout the whole book. It's very short. And I just begin in chapter 1, verse 7. And she says this, Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where you feed, where you make your flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turns aside to the flocks of your companions? And I, I, I just wanted to bring, you're going you're gonna to read this again with me tonight, but I wanted you to see this very quickly, that she does love him. Her soul does love him. There is no question about that. And she is very confident that she loves him. But y'all, her love is so immature. Her love is so selfish. And it, you find that this whole book is about how he begins to win her heart more and more and more. And as you watch her through this book, her love grows into a mature love. But from the very outset, her soul loves him. And this is never denied. It is never contradicted. But you do see immaturity. She wants to know where he feeds and where he feeds his flocks. Because she doesn't want to go and be fed at somebody else's table when this is the one that she loves. And I would just say this to you tonight as it stands out to me. That it is my heart's desire tonight for you to really love Jesus. And not to just assume that you love him. But that you would, not, and, and it's not the fact that you don't love him. But when I read this little verse of scripture, I'm, I'm just moved by the fact that I don't want to feed from anyone else but you. And we thank God for the companions of Jesus. You know, but it's one thing, you know, as, as ministers, we, we're able to spend time in the Word of God and we're able to study and we're able to come and take that Word and preach it to you, administer it to you. But those that do things like that, Sunday school teachers and Bible teachers and preachers and so forth, they've been feasting in the Word of God the whole week. They've been sitting at the feet of Jesus and they've literally been feeding from Him. And for me, it's kind of like that, you know, as, as I was growing up, I would, I would listen to, to what I would consider some of the greatest preachers ever. I can remember when I was not even a teenager and I was taking my money that I would go mow yards and I would get paid for mowing yards and I would take so much of that money and I would send it in the mail to preachers because I just loved them and I loved what they were telling me about Jesus. <clears throat> but I would always have this cry in my heart that, Whatever they're able to do in your presence, whatever you're giving them in their presence, I don't want to get it from them. I want to get it the way they're getting it. I want to be with you. I want to sit at your feet. I want to feed where you are feeding your flocks, where you are feeding these preachers. I want to sit there. I don't want regurgitated food. I want it myself. And, um, and so this was a hunger in my life, and I'm still getting there. I pray God really helps me. But she really does love the Lord. And in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over, uh, his banner over me was love. And that was his banner. And then in verse 5, Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick, which means to be overwhelmed or consumed. I am overwhelmed with love. I am consumed with love. And even in, immature love can feel this way. You can be overwhelmed with it. I would say it this way, and please listen to me. We'll, we'll get back to the Bible in just a second, but look at me. 
I see this so many times in the body of Christ that we come and we really do love the Lord. There, there's nothing in that. I wouldn't question whether you love the Lord or not. I actually believe that you do. I actually believe that you would say that my heart is overwhelmed with God and I'm overwhelmed or I'm consumed with love for the Lord. But oftentimes that love can be very immature. Instead of feeding at his own feet, we are content to let other people teach us. We spend very little time in the Word. We spend very little time in His presence. And we tend to go as an immature lover. We tend to go from one experience to the another of the overwhelming and the consuming. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible feeling to have that kind of love where you're overwhelmed and you're consumed. But mature love is love even when it's not overwhelmed or consumed. This is a very strong emotion or tide when you just feel that overwhelming love. And that's where she is. It's kind of like when somebody falls in love for the very first moment. But 50 years into marriage, how is your love then? You know, when, when some of the emotions are gone And a lot of times we see that in the body of Christ. We can see such enthusiasm. Now stay with me. We can see such enthusiasm from the body of Christ when it's overwhelming. When there's a, when there's like a, just such a feeling of God's presence and there's such a personal, personal emotion in it or there's a personal desperation in it. And so in that you're overwhelmed or you're consumed and you're just really pressing in. But mature love is consistent from day to day. Whether the feelings change or whether I feel overwhelmed with love for God today or not, does not change my behavior towards Him and my pursuit of Him. And and really today in the body of Christ, it is quite amazing to see how often and how much people have to be prodded into doing the right things of worshiping and loving God There should never have to be an invitation extended to people who are saved by the blood of Jesus to with all of their heart and all of their might to love Him and to praise Him and to worship Him. You should never have to tell a believer to do that. It should be the craving of their heart and the faithfulness and the loyalty of their love for Jesus Christ. But the fact that it has to be done so often, and I'm not simply talking about here, I'm talking about anywhere it seems in the body of Christ right now. You know, like go to the prayer meeting, go to church, you know, worship the Lord, lift up your voices, lift up your hands. That should never have to be said. It should never have to be said. Not not when there's this mature love, but we're all growing, right? It's not that we don't love God, but maybe our love can be mature and it can be somewhat selfish. And so in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Well, she didn't. He wanted her to, but she didn't. And she stayed where she was. And then in chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, it says this, By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loves. And so there she is saying it again, My soul loves him. And she really did. I sought him, but I found him not. And so, you know, she wanted him on her terms. And a lot of times that's what you and I do. We want Jesus on my terms. And um, and he wasn't going to have it, you know. He wanted her to go with him. She didn't want to go. So he went anyway. 
And it's not that he abandoned her, because he would certainly be there for her, but the, the sweetness of his presence was lost, not because of him, but because she didn't go with him. She didn't go with him. And it says, I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the broadways. I will seek him whom my soul loves. And there it is again. She really loved him. I sought him, but I found him not. And so she encounters the watchman and she says, have you seen him whom my soul loves? And anyway, she ends up finding him. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus will be found of us if we seek him? He will be. He'll be found of you. And, um, and, and so she finds him and she brings him back into her chambers. But I wanted you to notice this in, in chapter 3, verse 3. And I just want this to stand out. The watchmen that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loves. Now, in chapter 4, verse 8, again, he's saying to her, Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon, from the top of Amana, from the top of Sinir and Hermon, from the lion's den and the mountains of the leopards. Come with me. These are dangerous places. These are hard places. It's not easy to scale the top of a mountain. It is very strenuous and tiring. Going to the den of the lions or the, the, the hill of the leopards. I mean, this is not safety. And he's saying, come with me, come. And she doesn't. She doesn't go. But she loves him. She really loves him. And I, I really believe, if you, if you will just listen to me for a moment, I really believe that is the compelling of Jesus to every one of you here tonight and to me, that he loves us and you really love him. And he is reaching out and speaking to you and compelling you, come with me, come with me, come with me. And oftentimes we want Jesus on our terms and not his terms. And sometimes his presence may seem far from us and our hearts are cold and our spirits are cold. And our walk with God is just so formal and it's not life and it's not passionate. And there's no fire in it. It's not his fault. It's not his fault. And when the moment we go out and begin to seek him, he will be found of us. He's not hiding from you. And, and you go out and you look for him. When you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me, is what he said. And so you see this in chapter 4, verse 8, he asks her to come and she does it. And then chapter 5, verse 6, he comes back to her and she's in bed and he tries to open the door, but he cannot. And so in verse 6, she finally gets out of bed and I open to my beloved, but my beloved has withdrawn himself and was gone and my soul failed when he, was, when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. And so the watchmen again find her and they, they smite her. There's a whole message in that. I believe it would be somewhat like the world today when we're going out there professing all of these things about the Jesus that we love and the world just smites us and pulls the veil off of our face and it just exposes our hypocrisy. Where's your power? Where's your life? Where's your love, this one that you talk about? And so I could just see that in verse 7. But here it says in verse 8, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him I am overwhelmed with love. I'm consumed with love. Tell him that. And that is what she wanted him to know. And this is important. Verse 9. This is important. They respond back to her. What is your beloved more than another beloved? Why is he so special? 
O thou fairest among women, what is your beloved more than another beloved that you would charge us like this? And that was their question to her, and I just want you to remember that. Chapter 6, verse 1, Whither is your beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? They're still talking to her. Where is he gone, O you fairest among women? Now listen to this. Where is your beloved turned aside that we may seek him with you? My beloved has gone down into his garden to the bed of spice. She knew exactly where he was. She knew exactly where he was. Why does she have to go around the city asking the watchmen and the women, where's my beloved? She knew where he was the whole time. And you know where Jesus is. You know where he is. Yet, how many times do we pray, oh God, where are you? Oh God, where are you? And he's calling us and he's compelling us. But she knows this, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feeds among the lilies. And she knew that. And praise God, she knew that. In chapter 7, verse 10, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. She's saying this to him, let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish, whether there's tender grapes appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give you my loves. And then in chapter 8, verse 5, it says this, Who is this? And they're asking this question, the daughters of Jerusalem. Who is this? And you just picture the church leaning on Jesus. Picture yourself leaning on Jesus. Now she's come to mature love. It's not immature anymore. Who is this that comes up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? I raised you up under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth. There she brought you forth that bear you. And her cry to him is, set me as a seal upon your passions. Imagine you saying that to Jesus. Set me as a seal upon your passions, upon your heart, upon your desires. And as a seal upon your power or your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Just showing the strength of love. And even jealousy there is a word for love. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which have the most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. And so here's this this time where she finally comes to this mature and very powerful love that is willing to go out into the dangerous places of the world with her lover, Jesus Christ, and, and even be to the point of exhaustion where she's leaning upon his arm as they're coming back from the fields and the harvest and everything. And I'm reading this in Revelation 2, verse 1, and, 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 this, and then I'm going to just tell you something for a moment. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them which are evil. And you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. Because you have left your first love. Remember therefore from whence you were fallen and repent and do the first works. 
or else I will come to you quickly and will remove your candlestick out of his place, except you repent. But this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And this church really had only one indictment brought against it. You've left your first love. You haven't left your traditions. You haven't left your responsibilities. You haven't left your loyalties even. You stayed in the truth and you're keeping yourself in the truth and you're judging those who claim to be apostles and everything and you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans that I hate. You're doing all of these things and you've got everything in line that you're supposed to be doing as a Christian, but you're doing it without heart. You're doing it without love for me. You've, you've left your first love. And I just want to talk to you about that for one moment if I can. Um, I had a... a some things in my yard at home that I had to get fixed. And I cut down some crepe myrtles. And <clears throat> on one of the spots in my yard, I, I'd bought some sod. And I resodded where there was no grass. And I've been taking care of it. And I've been watching it. But at one particular spot in my yard, <clears throat> the grass is not growing. It's just brown and it's just dead. But I laid the sod there. And other places around it, it's growing. But right there, it's not growing. And I get frustrated with it sometimes because I don't understand why it's not growing. And, th- and, th- and then I just realize that there's something in the soil. There's a corruption in the soil. And as much green grass or nice and healthy sod that I might lay on top of that spot of my yard, it's not going to grow because there's something in the soil that's corrupt. And it was convicting to me because I realized that there are things in my heart that are corrupt. And as much as I want to love God, there are things in my heart that are corrupt. And as much as I throw enthusiasm upon it, as much as I may throw emotion into it, as much as I may compel myself to do something, if the corruptions in my heart are not surfaced and confessed and brought out from by the Lord's power, it doesn't matter what I throw on it. It's just not going to grow there. And I want my heart to grow in the love of God. I really do. And so many times I get distracted and I get sidetracked by the responsibilities of ministry and the opportunities that God gives and the demands that are upon my life. But really, guys, isn't it really all about Jesus Christ? Isn't it really all about Him? It's not really about going here and going there. It's not about preaching here or preaching there. It's not even really about going to church on Wednesday nights or going to church on Sundays. It's about hearing this voice of your lover who says, come with me. And you rise up and you go because your love is so strong and matured. And that's why you do it. But how many people have come to church because you heard the cry of your lover say, come, I'm going to be there tonight. Come with me. And even in, even in regards to gathering in the altar to love God and to worship God and to praise God, why do you get in the altar and do that? Why, why would you leave your seat? Because everybody doesn't leave their seat. 
So why would you leave your seat and come stand in this altar to do that? Because that is our position, or that is our new tradition, or, or that is just a place that I'm supposed to be. Or do you hear the voice of your lover saying, come with me? That's where I am. Because truly, that's where he is. But it's not to go there for some type of tradition, and our love is far from him. Why do you go to prayer meeting? Why do you go to church? Why do you read your Bibles? Why do you pretend or play the Christian traditions and and motions and morals of all of these things if our heart is not in love with Him? And the Apostle Paul said it like this, that I want to know Him. I want to know Him. And I want to fellowship with Him in His suffering. I want to take advantage of every opportunity to know him. I've, I know I've talked with Jeff about this, and I've even spoken to the church about it, because a few years ago we were traveling all over the world, and I really did not like it. I still do not like it. But we were traveling all over the world, and we're going places everywhere. And I, I just answered somebody one time, he would say, well, Lee, if you don't like it, why are you doing it? And I said, because he's getting on that plane. I see him getting on that plane. I have to go where he goes. I have to be where he is. I have to follow him. And it's not about my comforts. And it's not about my conveniences. And it's not about what's easy. I really believe what I tell you. I really believe what I preach. I'm really, I'm really committed to this. And when I think about this as a church, you know, and I think about for you as a church... The greatest thing that you could ever do is to love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. And you really do. I'm not questioning whether you love God or not. You love him, your soul loves him, and you delight in him. But wouldn't it be unique if your neighbors were watching you get up on a Sunday or get up on a Wednesday and getting in your car? Hey, every Wednesday night... I, I just see you get up and you go and you do this and you're gone. You get, so, so what's going on with you? Well, I'm going to church. I'm going to church. I'm going to prayer meeting. I'm going to Bible study. I'm going to witness. I'm going to the outreach, right? That's typically what we say, right? But what if we were to say, I'm going to him whom my soul loves. I'm going to him. I'm going to him. I'm going to him. Because people hear it all the time. You know, I'm going to church. Oh, well, good for you. Good for you. Go to church, you know, and all of this stuff. It really doesn't compel them because they know what church is all about. But, but if it wasn't about church and it wasn't about prayer meetings and it wasn't about praise services and it wasn't about Bible studies, but it was about him and it was about being with him and it was about loving him and he is so beautiful and that our pursuit is him, just like the lover in the Song of Solomon, where is my beloved Daughters of Jerusalem, if you see my beloved, tell him that I am consumed with love for him. What is your beloved more than another? Why do you keep talking about Jesus? What is Jesus more than Muhammad? What is Jesus more than Buddha? What is Jesus more than this? What is Jesus more than that? Oh, let me tell you how wonderful my beloved is. Let me tell you all about Jesus. And then they would say, then you tell us where he is and let us go seek him with you. I want to know him. That you love so much, I want to know him. And really, that's what it's all about. And I wanted to give you this tonight because 
I would like for you tonight to just really examine your love. And I'm not questioning whether you love Jesus or not. But is your love selfish and immature? Do you want Jesus on your terms? Do you have to constantly be prodded? Led? Fed? Directed? In the most simple things of intimacy with God? That should be a daily and habitual outflow of love because many waters cannot quench love. And love is as strong as, as, as fire, if you will. It is like fire. Jealousy is the grave that you have for God. And you're so passionate for God and you love God so much that there's nothing that could stop you. Many waters could not quench love. It's a poetic phrase, just simply saying there's not enough power to stop love. Nothing can quench it. Man doesn't even start it. If a man would offer his home and everything he's got for love, it would be contempt. You know what it's saying? That only God gives the ability and the passion and the power to love. And when God puts that in the soul of someone, nothing can put it out. Nothing can put it out. You don't look around anymore to see what your neighbor's doing, to determine what you're going to do. Because you're in love. And that's the need of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life and the need of being filled with the Holy Spirit because there's no way we're going to love God or it's even going to grow without the power of the Holy Ghost in our life. He shall baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that fire is love. It's passion. It's consuming. And when He ignites that fire in your heart, all of these things that that, that would put your love out tomorrow and put your love out Friday and put your love out Saturday and you need to come back Sunday to get another shot in the arm or another boost. No, you don't need that anymore because my love's matured. I'm passionate about Him and I'm not going to church for church and I'm not going to church for the preacher and I'm not going into the altar for a praiser. I'm going because He has asked me to come. He who my soul loves. Oh, how I love him. How I love him so much. Would you pray with me?